Well, there once was a man who was desperate to be loved, and he did and said anything to get people's attention and got more and more puffed up as he went along. Eventually, he was found out on a, um, let's say, television interview, and pop! <laughs> the bubble burst as he realized there wasn't much substance to him. There was another man who had very little to say for himself. He saw himself as weak and terrible and pathetic. And he <coughs> occasionally got bigger, but often just stayed flat. But there was a third person who didn't seem to care what other people said about him and didn't really care what he said about himself either. He didn't mind what his own internal voice said and he didn't mind what other voices said. Every morning he turned to the Word of God and read what God said about him. And over time, he grew stronger and stronger and stronger and became the hope for people around him to put their trust and faith in because they realized that this third man had something that neither of the first two did, the confidence that came from another place and not from himself. It's easy in our, our day, isn't it, to find people who uh, seem just a little bit puffed up, um, who get, might get deflated in an instant or so. And it's also really easy to find people who are very, very down on themselves. I'm rubbish, I'm terrible. And this uh, little book that we're looking at today, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Timothy Keller, uh, the best-selling author from New York City, um, the, the, the idea that he, he picks up is that in the 20th century, we reversed the way that we had seen um, how we look at ourselves from almost every other society before. Uh, before the 20th century, we looked at someone who'd done something bad and we said, they're, they're someone who's full of hubris, they're full of pride, they, they've made themselves more important than someone else. So if I uh, use Simon as exhibit A, uh, Simon, come here. Now, if I, if I assaulted Simon, um, mugged him and got on a moped and hassled him on Chiswick High Road, left him for dead on the floor, uh, stole his mobile phone, um, Historically, that would have been because I thought too much of myself and too little of him, uh, and therefore I didn't care about him because I just cared about myself. Come the 20th century, it's not for that reason at all. It's because I had a very nasty mother or father, and therefore I've got low self-esteem, and therefore I've hassled Simon because I've got terrible self-esteem, uh, and, uh, and, and really it's society's fault that, um, that I uh, was such a terrible mugger. Um, and if only I'd been looked after nicer by the, the system or by my parents, uh, everything would have been okay. And what, what Keller's saying here is that the, the Bible worldview doesn't fit with either of those worldviews. It fits in a different way. And it talks, instead of um, pride as the sort of hubris, it talks about self-inflation. And it makes the point that we had in that early example, that actually puffing yourself up is exhausting. It's tiring. You run out of breath. And in the middle of it all is very little. Just, just air. And if you try and fit something in there, something your-sized in there, it's not big enough, it'll just rattle around inside it. And it's just that a lot of the way that we do life is like that. We're desperately trying to puff ourselves up. How do people see me? How do they look at me? How do they hear me? How do they respond to me on social media and all that sort of thing? And it's just that 
the, the opposite problem is that, that deflated thing. Many of us spend our lives going, oh, I really am rubbish. That sort of walking, slightly hunched over. I don't know if you're, which one you're more inclined to do. My hunch is that more of us are inclined to walk around like this than to walk around like this. But both of them are a form of being obsessed with yourself. Both of them are very much focused in on, on me. I'm rubbish, I'm rubbish, I'm good, I'm good. The key word in both of those sentences is I'm. And he says that uh, 20th century and 21st century counselling has mainly focused on the idea that what you need to do is speak good to yourself. And you need to sort of say, okay, it doesn't matter how they see me, I see myself as a confident woman, or whatever it may be. I mean, I regularly go to the mirror and go, Richard, you are a confident, uh, not woman. Uh, and so you stare at yourself and you sort of talk yourself into some new standard that you're then going to aspire to. Does this make sense? Are we getting this sort of worldview? And he says, the problem is, it's hard to even keep up with your own standards, isn't it? It's really tough when you're focused in on yourself to make the grade, even if it's only you who set the standard. And you say, well, okay, well, the answer then is let's set a low bar. Let's not make it a high bar. I'm going to set a low bar. Okay, all I'm going to do is not drink alcohol in January. Okay, I'm going to set a really low bar, really simple bar. It's January the 3rd. <laughs> I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to read the Bible every day or every other day, or at least I'm going to read it once in a week. And it doesn't matter what standard you set it at. We seem to be able to trip over the bar, however low we set it. And we end up in a sort of miserable place looking in. So Keller says that there's this thing that he calls a freedom of self-forgetfulness that is the heart of the Christian gospel. And he's drawing it from this passage with Paul here. And he picks up on the fact that the Paul in particular in verse 3 of chapter 4 says, I care very little that I'm judged by you or any human courts. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. So look, Paul's got to a place where he doesn't really mind if Cephas or Apollos or any of these other people are going, Paul's not as good an apostle as we are. If he was a better apostle, he'd be driving in a mini convertible, um, you know, from Corinth to Ephesus. He'd have a decent suit on. He'd have a theology degree from the London School of uh, Theology um, with Chloe Lynch supervising him. He would live in a nice place. He says, I don't care anymore what you guys say about me. I don't care even if my own conscience says I'm clean because I might have got it wrong. And the funny thing about the conscience is we can repress it quite a lot, can't we? It kind of makes the point that, you know, you could, you could be someone as awful as Hitler and have a clean conscience if your conscience wasn't activated. <laughs> so, by my own standards, I'm doing okay. But who set the bar? Not doing very well by their standards. Even your own standard might not be adequate. So where's the hope? And he makes this incredible thing. He says, in the Christian gospel, in the Christian gospel, you begin by being accepted. You begin by being loved. You begin by having significance given to you. That's how you start in Christian faith. That's how a little baby gets to start today. 
having already made the grade. And if you've already made the grade, then you don't have to be struggling to fill the balloon up. <laughs> I'm brilliant, I'm brilliant, I'm brilliant, I'm brilliant. The problem with filling the balloon up, of course, is if I'm filling my balloon up and uh, Simon here, who's uh, made the mistake of sitting in the front row, is filling his balloon up, and we're both trying to stand next to each other, one of us gets pushed out of the way, doesn't it? If we're all trying to fill up our own egos, uh, eventually they get squashed and, and deflated. But if you can start from a place of going, I'm already okay, I'm already loved, I'm already accepted, then that's a miraculous place to start from. Now, a lot of you have been in church for, for a long time. Some of you may be visiting for the first time, but for a lot of you, this won't feel like new news. Uh, the Christian gospel says it starts with Jesus, it carries on with Jesus, and it finishes with Jesus. It's not about you. But there is a bit where you're like, but I've got to work out my salvation in fear and trembling, but there must be something that I can do <laughs> on this journey. And I don't feel like I'm doing it very well a lot of the time. Anyone, anyone get that? You know, okay, brilliant, I'm in for free. I'm getting to heaven for free. Jesus has done it all for me, but what about me? How do I assess myself? Surely there should be some way of saying whether I've improved as a worship leader or, or improved as a disciple of Jesus. Or if I did an audit of myself as a father or as a, a single person or as a, a lover or as a friend or as a gardener, there should be some way of saying if I've got better or not. And does it, isn't it okay to have some of my identity built on those things? And surely it's good to be a, a good lover, a good gardener, a good friend. They're, they're good things, aren't they, to build on? So how do we assess them? And Paul in this passage is saying, look, I just, I don't care. I don't care. <coughs> because the more comparison that goes on, uh, the worse. If you're comparing me and Apollos, the worse. And he says, the things we take pride in, excuse my voice here, but the, the things that we take pride in, we tend to take pride in because they're over and against someone. So I, I don't know your name, sir. Michael. If I was standing next to Michael and we were doing like a beauty parade there, I might be like, oh, goodness me. You know, the man looks amazing in the second row there, you know? And I'd be like, oh, deflated. If I was, you know, standing against my pimply self, age 15, I might be like, oh, I'm looking a bit better than I was then. I might not, to be honest, but, you know, I, I, might, I might, might claim that. And, and the point is that we get pride by comparison. So if I think, ah, oh, actually, I'm quite good because I'm quite clever, and then I go and talk to Chloe for a few minutes. Yeah, I'm suddenly I'm like, oh, no, I'm not as clever as I thought I was after all. Or I think I'm quite good at strategy and I go and talk to Ruth. And I'm like, oh, my goodness me. And all of the things that we tend to take pride in, we tend to take pride in relative to someone else. And that means they're vulnerable. Because there's always someone smarter, better, better looking, cleverer, in a better relationship than us. Or at least that's how it appears from the outside, because you never know what's going on on the inside, do you? You're looking in, going through your Google eyes or your Facebook eyes, going, their life looks amazing. 
They've just baptised their second child. Lucky them. None of us know what's going on on the inside. We don't know the fights. We don't know the hassles. We don't know the whole story, do we? And so the more that we build ourselves up in comparison against someone else, we're building in our pride. Look, 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 I'm clever, I'm brilliant, I'm bright, I'm wonderful. What if it just gets taken away in an instant? I love the, the story I heard um, Bishop James Jones tell when I was a student. And it was of his daughter coming to him. And she said, Daddy, why do you love me? Why do you love me? And he was sensible enough to stop and think for a moment. And he thought of all the things he loved about his daughter. He loved her beautiful blue eyes. He loved her long hair. She loved the way that she would come and give him hugs. She loved how clever she was. She loved the fact that she got involved in that drama and she liked doing music and all this sort of stuff. And he, he thought about it and he said, oh, what shall I tell her first? And then he realized that whatever he said to her is probably going to register in her heart in a deep way because we all have a father-shaped hole, whether we know our father well or not. And what he was going to speak into her was going to register with her in a big way. And he worked out that the only thing he could safely tell her was, I love you because I love you because I love you. Because what if she lost her vision? What if her hair fell out in a cancer treatment? What if she lost her voice? What if she wasn't able to do anything? What if she got caught up in some other illness or something? All these things, these accolades are temporary. And so he sat down and said, honey, I love you because I love you because I love you. And he says she went away so disappointed because <laughs> she wanted to be puffed up like we all do. She wanted an ego boost like we all so often do. But years later, when she really needed those words, when she was struggling, when she wasn't sure if she was good enough, when she didn't know if she'd make the grades, when exams were knocking at the door, when boyfriends had let her down, a little voice would come back into her head. I love you because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love you. And that's what God says is the only platform to start from. You have a choice. Self-remembering, either to puff yourself up, it's a, I'm bigger, I'm better, my balloon's taking up the space, or to be like, oh, I'm rubbish, I'm terrible. Both of those are in that self-focused category. Looking in on myself and going, I'm rubbish. Setting my own standards and sometimes making them, sometimes not. Thinking I'm no worse than the person next to me. All that self-help stuff that fills reams of bookshelves on WH Smith's. Or you can try the Jesus way. The Paul way. And go, I'm just going to forget that stuff for now. Doesn't matter what you say about me. Doesn't matter what degree you give me or don't give me. Doesn't matter what SATS results you give me or don't give me. Doesn't matter what relationship status I have on Facebook today. Doesn't matter what's going on and what, how you see me. It doesn't even matter how I see me. Because all that matters is how he sees me. 
So you say, well, why does God get to define whether your life is worthwhile or not? Why, why does God get a say in this one? Isn't he the absent clockmaker? The one who just set it off and we haven't heard from him again? Isn't he the one who's let you down on so many occasions? Those prayers you prayed when you were seven that still don't feel properly answered today. How come he gets to have a say in whether you're worthwhile or not? And is he really interested in you as an individual when there are billions of people on the planet and some of them much nicer than you, some of them much worse than you, but why would he care about you individually? How do you know? John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Why is he worth listening to? Because he's always wanted to get involved. Why is he worth listening to? Because he's the one who gives of himself to you. Why is he worth listening to? Because when you thought that he was absent, he was really there all along. Why is he worth listening to? Because he's the one who sustains the world by his powerful word. He didn't just set it off and then let it go. It would have disappeared billions and trillions of years ago if he'd done that. It's the very essence of God continually creating the universe that means it's still here today. I had someone say today, uh, a few days ago, you've got a choice, haven't you? You either believe in a virgin birth or you believe in a virgin cosmos. You've got to choose your own miracle. Choose your own miracle. If you can get your head around the idea that God made the world and he came into the world because he loves you, that he would make that adventure and that journey that he is, in fact, your true father, then he might just be the voice you've been waiting for for your whole life. The scripture says that God has put eternity in every single person's hearts. And St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless. They're restless until they find their rest in God. So what about you? Where are you going to get your identity from? The person around you? A social media competition as to who's got the most likes, the Insta friends, your own standards. Or are you going to bow your head in prayer, get on your knees and say, Daddy, is it true? Do you love me because you love me because you love me? Is it true that you came from heaven to earth to save even someone like me? Is it true that you haven't given up on me? Is it true that I am already all right if I trust in Jesus and that you see me the same as you see your son Jesus? Is it true? And if on your knees with your eyes closed, your heart bowed before God, you hear him back whisper in your head, it's true, my child. Then will you live that out faithfully through your life? Will you walk in obedience to that? Because everything about your life is going to drag you back over to this side. There's lots of people blowing up their balloons all the time. There's other people living with deflated balloons who just want to sort of drag you into a look at me, look at me, look at me misery. There's a few people who are going, actually, let's get our identity from him and walk in with him there. I want to invite you into that journey today, that adventure. I started that journey when I was 17 years of age, I was in Romania. I prayed, God, would you give me the Holy Spirit? 
God gave me a bit of himself. And ever since then, I haven't been able to stop talking about him, about Jesus, and about all he's done for us. It's a wonderful thing. I take my eyes off the prize on a daily basis. But occasionally I get yanked back by something like this wonderful book, Freedom and Self-Forgetfulness, all the lovely words in Scripture from Paul. I don't care if you judge me. And I'm free again. I'm free again. Don't you want to be free? Don't you want to be free from how everyone sees you? Don't you want to be free from how you've seen yourself? Don't you want to know if there's a purpose, a higher calling, something worth living for? So everything about this book screams out there is. Why not open it up at the New Testament, read the words of Jesus and find out for yourself whether there really is someone who loves you because he loves you because he loves you. In Jesus' name, amen.